0: Hey there, this is Liz Lash, and you're listening to Entering the Bar, a podcast on life in the law. Us lawyers may have passed the bar, but at the end of the day, we often find ourselves entering the bar, not only to relax, but to fetch about clients, cases, and the like. What's it like to live life as a lawyer? That's what we're here to talk about. And since we're lawyers, here's your first disclaimer. We're not here to give you legal advice. You're listening to Entering the Bar with Liz Lash, and I've got Andrea Dallas today on the show. She is Council Claim Substantiation Research and Innovation. Andrea, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. So, Andrea, we've been chatting for a couple minutes about um, some some great stories you have. <laughs> so many stories. So many stories, <laughs> and I know you love podcasts. I'm especially excited to have you on. Sandra, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about what you do? I think currently you still work at L'Oreal, right? I do.
1: Yeah, so it's my responsibility at L'Oreal to review every single piece of advertising and marketing that comes through on my product categories. And I'm reviewing it, you know, obviously from a legal and claims compliance perspective. Mm -hmm. So every single thing that we say has to be substantiated and corroborated, And whether that's by scientific evidence or consumer evidence or clinical evidence, everything has to be supported. you know everything except for if it's you know what we call in the in the industry puffery. Um, like I always think back to that that elf scene when Will Farrell goes into the coffee shop and he, and he sees, world's best coffee. Congratulations. (laughs) And he's so excited for this diner that got the world's best cup of coffee and and clearly no one would ever actually believe that. Um, So those kinds of things, we don't have to corroborate. But everything else, you know, that comes across my desk and I work primarily in the hair category. So that's hair care, color and styling. And she has great hair. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of (laughs) products. not endorsing <laughs> L'Oreal right here but um a lot of good product. So um you know the brands I represent or you know people might not be familiar with L'Oreal and all the brands that we represent but it's uh, not only L'Oreal Paris but it's Redken, it's Soft Sheen Carson which is dark and lovely and um Carol's Daughter, we also have Matrix, Kerastase, Purology Wow. Um, tons of hair brands, basically all the hair brands that are out there. Garnier, yeah, all the hair brands that are not Revlon, right. <laughs> and or you know, little uh, or Unilever. Oh, what um, about Moroccan oil? <laughs> we we do have some Moroccan oil yeah. products with Moroccan oil. Um, <laughs> So if you, if you look at L'Oreal Professional, those have some Moroccan oil products. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But no, Moroccan oil as a brand is not ours. Oh, too bad. <laughs> do you get discounts on the products? We do. We get a, oh. we get a stipend. Um, I think oh. they like us to use our own products. Oh, and, yeah, it, you know, it's course. good for me to, because I really do have some products that I stand behind. I really know that they work. And it helps me to be able to work with marketing to create some really good communication around our products when I know that they work. Yeah. And I think you said to me, you know, when we were chatting earlier that
0: I think your boss, you said, actually gave you a book called The Science of Hair. Still have it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a
0: little bit about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the first day I walked in, not really having much of a science background at all. You know, again, I have to read studies. I have to know statistics now. I have to know about bar graphs and and nothing I ever even knew about before. Um, And he puts a whole bunch of documents on my desk and then he gives me a book called the science of hair i had no idea that the hair even involved any kind of science you know the the book shows microscopic images of all different types of hair types wow. talks about you know hair um hair growth hair receding um i mean there are wow. just chapters and chapters about hair itself wow. hair color hair dyeing i mean everything is a science Hair color in and of itself is a very, very complicated science, Um, the way that color attaches to the hair, whether it's Mm. permanent or semi-permanent, or even now we have all this kind of hair makeup. So, you know, there's, there's all types of scientific evidence and background and everything going into hair itself, which I had no idea about. Yeah. I, I actually this this type of law in general, uh, nobody I think knows about when they go to law school. I mean it's No, I had never heard it, of it. It's it's not something that you're taught in law school. Yeah, I know that my own law school, New York law school, had a um an advertising law class, yeah. not when I went but um, a few years later, and there were definitely a bunch of students interested in it. I actually taught a class for a couple of years related to that at the law school. Oh, so oh, um, cool. yeah, and, you were, and an, you were an adjunct professor at New York Law School. I was, uh, I was for a couple of years there um, until I started having too many babies. Oh, um, <laughs> just just <laughs> two, two Too, too many oh, babies. Oh, yeah, um, and enough. they're not babies anymore; <laughs> and they're lovely. And um, but but yeah, I mean, it was. It was nice to see people really interested in a body of law that I had never knew existed when yeah. I was in law school. Um, I think, you know, certainly intellectual property sure. is is something that a lot of people are interested in. And this is sort of fits within it, but not really, you know, yeah. so it, it, it's its own kind of animal. We have our own, I'd like to say we have our own industry, the advertising law industry. And yeah. it's it's definitely a growing field. There are few lawyers that solely focus on advertising law. Most companies just don't have enough to support lawyers that just do that. Right. Um, L'Oreal is, is different. We do have a team that is pretty much dedicated to claims. Wow. And you said you're in the labs half the day with the scientists, right? Yep. Because we work, you know, on every single launch that we do, we work hand in hand with the chemists who, you know, know from marketing what they want to sell. Yeah. They mix the products and then it's our job to test them. Uh, make sure that the that the communications are accurate. Yeah. So, you know, once we get together mm-hmm. with the chemists, we get together with the evaluation team. And like I said, that's either scientific or the clinical team or we have a consumer team. And we figure out how are we going to test this thing to make our claims um, able to move forward. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the whole thing becomes kind of the anatomy of the launch. So you're mm-hmm. at the very beginning, the lawyers are there at the very beginning, like what do they want to say? How are we going to mm-hmm. corroborate it? And then, you know, all the way up until launch. Wow. So how did you get into this area? So, you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, thinking back again when I was in law school, I had no idea this existed. Right. And then was kind of just not sure what I wanted to do. I spent a couple of years um, in real estate, about four years in real mm-hmm. estate, I remember multiple times sitting in my office with the door closed crying because mm. I was berated by some partner or, you know, just didn't know what I was doing. Um, and right. and I did get laid off from that job at the law firm and I couldn't have been happier because yeah. it was just – it was just miserable. It wasn't the kind of, – not that the law firm was miserable, but it was just not the kind of work that I ever envisioned myself doing. I mean there yeah. was, there's nothing glamorous about – sitting and reading a 100-page piece. I don't care what anybody says. You have to be a very, very unique kind of person to think that that's glamorous or cool or anything. Um, <laughs> they don't show just, that on the TV shows. <laughs> no, all they show is the, is the gorgeous building that was built by, you know, some famous architect in right. the end. And, and you don't know the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it, literally tears. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had the so, those days. So, I, I mean, after that, I ended up working at a conference company. Uh-huh. And... Got into working with a lot of lawyers that were in intellectual property, yeah. and we had a couple of conferences that in uh, during the year that dealt yeah. specifically with advertising at that time. you know, YouTube was coming up, Myspace, oh, all these little yeah. all these sites were coming up and and getting some headway and looking mm-hmm. to see how to maximize advertising dollars with companies. Right. and so advertising law as a as a um a field was really Mm -hmm. growing for lawyers. And so at the time, conferences in that area was kind of a little bit of a hotbed for the company I worked for. And um, I got involved with doing them and met everybody in this industry. I mean, any lawyer who practices anything related to advertising law wanted to be in this space, wanted to speak at these conferences, wanted to sponsor these conferences. And so I got exposure to people at a pretty young age that I never would have even talked to before, yeah so you know, and that that's just a little kind of advice for for people who are young and not really sure what they wanted to do be a be a leech, attach yourself to people because <laughs> you never know where that might take you, and right. i that that kind of you know mentorship and experience and attaching yourself to somebody who is maybe five years older than you that you really respect yeah. and look up to. I mean, I have people, I can count them, that have been in my corner, you know, really have been in my corner yeah. um, and helped me get to where I am today. So I, one of those people, um, you know, were, were at the, was at the Children's Advertising Review Unit and also the National Advertising Division, people who worked there as part of the Better Business Bureau. Uh. They knew that I wanted – a job, was looking for a job, um, wanting to stop doing the conference stuff and get into this field and, Mm. you know, hired me based on a couple of things, you know, definitely my exposure to the industry and, and people I kind of knew from networking. Um, And then, you know, took a chance and I ended up staying there for about seven or eight years. Oh,
0: wow. So you really liked Um,
1: it. I really liked it. Uh, So that's, that's how I kind of got my start in advertising law. Uh, And, uh, and then- from there, went to L'Oreal and been there for a while now. So, you know, I, I you know, again can't stress enough. It's, it's who you know. And we were talking yeah. a little bit before about the sending out resumes and, you know, put it doesn't work to. Perfume your paper and put sprinkles right. on it at <laughs> all. You're not anymore. Maybe in, back in the day that would get you a job, but you know, in the out. days of in the days now of of algorithms, and you know, you you send something through LinkedIn, you're never going to get looked at unless you have those perfect words that the algorithm that LinkedIn uses picks right. up it's it's so hard. It's harder than ever to get a job because they're, yeah. they're, it's just, it's so easy to, you don't even have to write a cover letter anymore. You can just, who does that? You just send in your two clicks and your resume is sent to the company. Right. So nobody's ever getting jobs that way anymore. It's all who you know. It, it's always been like that, but I yeah. think more now than ever, it's all who you know. Yeah.
0: I think it's, you know, information overload. I think that's really, in some ways, that's kind of the root of the problem because you just, you have so many things coming through and so many choices that if I were sitting in the re- recruiting department, I'd be overwhelmed. Then here comes along this this person and you see them and you talk to them and you're like, oh, they're perfect. So, of course, you know, I think that makes it easier if you if you have some sort of preexisting relationship or, you know, somebody who works at that company and certainly helps ease the way a little bit. Yeah. What did you do at the Better Business Bureau in terms of claim substantiation? Because right now you're you're putting together the claims, right? And you're seeing whether the scientists, you know, what they're doing or whether the marketing bears it out, what they've done. Were you judging the claims at the Better Business Bureau? Is that what you were doing?
1: Yep. It was more of a, you're kind of on that side of it, more of a regulatory side from the outside. Uh-huh. So what we would do, we had member companies and yeah. we would help them with their advertising. We weren't really some people saw us as a watchdog mm. or the advertising police, but it really wasn't like that. It yeah. was, you know, if we we would pre screen all the advertising. So we pre screened storyboards. Oh, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> digital communications. Yeah um and say you know this might this might have some issues this might not be able to be corroborated or how did you back this up uh-huh. um sort of acted as a clearance process uh-huh. for for the companies um and then you know we also would conduct inquiries okay. and so we would say you know how does this for children we had guidelines and we'd say how does this comply with our guidelines and the company okay. would have to get back to us and explain how it Comply with the guidelines. Uh-huh. Um, there was also another piece of what I did at the Children's Advertising Review Unit, which was uh-huh. very uh, heavily focused on COPPA, Children's Online Privacy. Uh-huh. So, right. you know, we would do that as well. We would conduct inquiries. You know, we we see you have a violation of privacy here. Uh-huh. You have to fix it, or tell us how you think you didn't violate children's privacy. Uh-huh. Um, so. That's how we worked with companies in that respect.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So you were actually involved in privacy quite some time ago, probably mm-hmm. predating a lot of
1: people's, you know, connection with the so-called, you know, privacy. Yeah, because I think COPPA was first enacted in 1996. Oh, that, so that was quite a while ago. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then I joined the Children's Advertising Unit in 08. Uh, Oh wow!
0: So, so were there because the Better Business Bureau is a private organization, right? Is there are were there any other government regulatory agencies that were doing similar work to what you did at that time? Or
1: yeah, so we had referral power to the FTC. So if uh, a company didn't reply uh, comply, uh-huh. we would send it over to the FTC, and then usually what would oh, happen is the FTC would say, "Hey." you know we don't want this kick it back to us <laughs> or they would say <laughs> right not we don't want this they say you don't want this yeah, because yeah, we'll yeah. find you so you might as well work with oh. you know the BBB and right. get your practices up to snuff and then you know we'll leave you alone oh so. interesting
0: mm-hmm. now has that been supplanted a little bit at this point by the CFPB
1: yeah, I think they're two separate okay, entities. Two separate yeah, entities. Yeah. I know
0: some in some ways they overlap, mm-hmm. but I, you know, now whenever I think they they've done a great job marketing themselves because whenever I think of something consumer, I think of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really interesting. So, you know, and this I don't know whether this ever comes in handy, but I saw on your your wonderful write up on the web that you speak a couple of languages. Does that you get to use that at all during, or have you used it all during your career?
1: Yeah, I speak Spanish fluently. I had a very, very minor working knowledge of French. Yeah. And I just it's too hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, working Plenty at a easiest. French company I think it helps, <laughs> but uh, no, I really I really do speak Spanish and I I like the fact that I can speak Spanish and I think it actually helped me get the job at L'Oreal because at the time they really needed someone to support the Hispanic countries. Oh um in terms of regulatory claims so mm. i worked with a team in mexico city oh wow and um who didn't have anyone senior in the in the claims area uh-huh. and i worked with them to kind of guide them on on claims traveled there a couple of times it's an amazing city you know for 2 years i did it and wow. actually got to the point where we were conducting business in spanish and it helped me because i found my spanish you know improving Right. But um you know, I got to the point where I was like, Wow, I can speak this language. And you're speaking about legal terms. Right, I mean, that's, right. That's
0: pretty high level.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but you know, it's the kind of thing if you don't yeah. use it you lose it. And so right. I haven't been working with them as much. I do work with a team still in Colombia. So I, I taught I to them know. in Spanish whenever I can, obviously. But um, their English is pretty good. Yeah. The team in Mexico, their English was not as great. So it right. was helpful for me to speak Spanish with them. And then also, it, it was actually easier to speak Spanish than it was to speak English. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes it is when you're yeah. in somebody else's native mm-hmm. language. Oh, that's interesting. So did you also have to pick up knowledge about the regulatory agencies in Mexico and Colombia when you were doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Oh wow. So what are what are those regulatory agencies?
1: So they're they're a little less strict okay. than ours. Yeah. It's it's similar to the self-regulatory body here, the National Advertising Unit and Children's Advertising Unit that I worked at. Uh, um, okay. whereas it's it's called self-regulation. So there's not a whole lot of government direct government involvement yeah. with the advertising industry. I think most countries say, you know what? You guys regulate yourselves, mm-hmm. and we'll get involved if we need to. Interesting. So it's more like the credit card companies here. It's Yeah, it's it's self-regulation. That's oh. that's what it is. Oh, very interesting. I think interesting. a lot of industries have those, like the cosmetics industry does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, like if the government, like the FDA, if the government mm-hmm. has to get involved, they will. But. Right. Oh, that's very interesting. And you really are, like, an
0: expert, you know, on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, I mean, we I do work for the U.S., and mm-hmm. L'Oreal but I do have to work very very closely with the EU teams and the Asian teams and yeah. obviously Spanish teams so we all try and be aligned on issues yeah. as much as we can even though different countries have different rules. Right. Um but we we work together on a almost daily basis oh, especially wow. the European team.
0: Yeah. So how big is your team worldwide if you can disclose that?
1: Oh gosh. Um I, I don't even know the number. I mean, there's so many of us in, oh in different countries who do this for wow. the company, yeah,
0: well, I guess you know it's not surprising when you think about it for such a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always worked at small companies, so I'm used to like you know, two or three other lawyers, five other lawyers, and then i I hear about these companies where they're it's like being at law school, you know, where there's so many <laughs> yeah, there's so many other lawyers to draw from. You know? fellow colleagues, you know, to, to talk over problems with, I imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in the U.S., it's, it's probably more challenging than some of the other countries because we are a very litigation-heavy country, right? Um, class actions, and, you know, we, we've got to deal with all of that. So it's very yeah. important to make sure that, you know, everything is backed up. And I think it's most challenging in the U.S. than mm-hmm. in any other country.
0: Yeah. Do you get involved with, like, some of the suits that come up?
1: Yes, if we, yeah, of course, if we have a lawsuit and there are some, you know, claims inquiries, Uh advertising-related inquiries that we have to provide uh, reports to our outside counsel, I'll get involved in that. Um, More often, they are challenges that are um, at the NAD level, National Advertising Division level, where I used Mm -hmm. to work. So we'll have to provide reports because the the NAD sees challenges company. Sometimes they do their own challenges, Uh but they see challenges company versus company. Right. So it'll be Unilever brings a challenge against L'Oreal and says, oh. how did you support your claims? And at that point, oh. it, it becomes, it's not a public proceeding. It becomes a closed proceeding. And oh. and the companies kind of, I don't want to say battle it out, but right. they, um, <clears throat> you know, they go in front of a kind of like arbitration in front uh-huh. of a board oh. and they present their evidence and they say, this is how we backed it up. Um, and then the board makes decision, you know, either you have uh-huh. to modify your advertising or you can keep your advertising. And, right. And so, you know, I've seen it happen a bunch of times where, you know, ads will have to be changed based on the communication, right? You know, not being backed up on either side. So.
0: Oh, interesting. Yep. So who who was usually on these boards? Are, are they fellow lawyers? Are they
1: scientists? Like, industry. People oh, industry. from industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. some might be scientists. Yeah. I haven't, I don't go before them myself. Okay. Our outside counsel does it. Gotcha. I just provide the reports. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that.
0: Um, you know how we started talking about doing this podcast was you love running and you love listening to podcasts. Yep. And it sounds like you're you're very maybe that's a, a very healthy way of letting off steam. What do you do in your off time? Do you I, it's running? And I think you used to be a personal trainer. Yeah. Right? So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I run a lot. Uh, I've I've run several marathons. Wow. Um. <laughs> I have two kids, so they keep (laughs) me busy. (laughs) Yes, I like to paint. Oh, yeah. Oh, how cool! Um,
0: What what media?
1: You know, I lately I've been using acrylics, Mm. but I'm all over the place. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just and do you have a certain subject that you like
1: to paint? It's funny. Lately, I've been painting fashion type, paint dresses, and not fashion designing, but just getting inspired from fashion. And, and I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it. But, yeah, you know, sometimes the just the act of being creative
0: is, yeah. you know, what gets you through the day, you yep. know, and we all have to have our creative outlets. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds like a healthier way of managing everything that's going on instead of, you know, and, you know, the, the theme of my podcast, which is, you know, entering the bar, not passing the bar. So, I you know, as I ask on every show,
1: you know, do you have any stories related to the bar? <laughs> I mean, I think for that I'd have to go back to when I first started law school. Yeah. And when I first started law school, I had just gotten out of a relationship and I think I went with a really close friend of mine to the Caribbean and I got those those cornrow braids.
0: Oh yeah. You know, and um
1: <laughs> I let them totally dreadlock and and then I decided to dye them magenta. Oh, my. So that's how I entered <laughs> law school. Oh, I, love it. I ended up yeah. attracting two girls uh, who I'm still good friends with. Yeah. And I like to say they picked me up. You know, they say, <laughs> wow, she looks cool. I looked like a crazy person. Um, so I, you know, that's how I started law school. And yeah. I just, I wasn't, I don't think I was mentally prepared for it.
0: Yeah. Did you go straight from college?
1: I went straight from college. Okay. Don't recommend yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I recommend taking some time off because it is, it's like night and day. You can, oh, yeah. most people with half a brain can skate through college. Right. Nobody can skate through law school. No. Nobody. No, I don't no. care who you are, where you go. <laughs> um, I thought I could skate through law school. I ended up spending most of the time partying and Sort of trying to study, i I would spend all day in the library just socializing, yeah, a, and think that that was studying. I mean, I would literally I, I think I would go against the library like nine o'clock and leave at nine p m and and spend maybe an hour studying and the rest of the yeah. day just like chit chatting with people right. you know and and that doesn't pass tests. Um, so ended up, you know, with my two partners in crime who yeah. who somehow managed to. Drink less and study more than I did. Um, I ended up on academic probation after the first year. Oh my God. Yeah, it wasn't until the summer of that first year where I started dating my boyfriend now husband yeah. Steve and he was on law and doing much better than I <laughs> was. Where he was like, "You Good gotta ones. get your act together, right. girl." Um and I thought I was really cool cuz I got to use all of his outlines and people would say, "Hey, I hear you have Steve's outlines." Oh, okay. and, <laughs> and I would I would be like, "Well, you can't have them." But um <laughs> so, you know, by second year, third year, I figured out what I was supposed to do to pass and, and you know, do much better. Right. Um, and then after we took the bar exam, me and, and those two girls decided to go to Europe together uh, for a Kentucky tour, Ooh. which back then was very popular among people in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. It was – you put a bunch of people who don't know each other on a bus and hope for the best. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, we – we spent most of that trip, um, n- instead of culturing, we spent most of that trip drinking. Mm-hmm. Sounds um, good to me. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that's what you do in Europe. Um, <laughs> in your 20s. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so we, you know, one one day in particular, we decided, okay, we have to get some culture. So we, went, we stayed up till 5 in the morning and then set our alarms for 7. Uh-huh. So we got two hours of sleep that oh, night. Oh, my or that morning, yeah. and decided we needed to get online line at 7 a.m. to go to the Uffizi Gallery in, in uh, Florence. And <laughs> the place we were staying, because we had no money, the place we were staying at was so disgusting that I didn't want to sit on the toilet bowl, oh, no. <laughs> so I crouched over <laughs> the toilet bowl and ended up falling backwards. I'm not graceful. Never was. (laughs) Never will be. She seems like it. (laughs) I fell backwards onto the toilet bowl and then there was a radiator with a nail sticking out and sat on the radiator and got a nail straight up my ass that was sticking out of the radiator. And that... Luckily, I was still drunk, so I don't think I felt it as much as I should have. <laughs> but there was just blood everywhere. Oh, it looked no. like a crime scene. <laughs> but, you know, we, we cleaned it up with these towels that were already dirty oh. and went to the gallery. Our other friend who was still sleeping wakes up, realizes that she can't find her contacts because in this scuffle, my friend threw them out thinking that they were her disposables. Oh, no. So... My friend, instead of, you know, we finally called her to let her know what happened. Uh Instead of asking about the blood, she says, where are my contacts? And we said, oh, my God, we must have thrown them out by accident. So she had very special glass permeable contacts that she only had this one pair with her. Um, And the other thing she had to see with her was this pair of glasses that looked like the end of a Coke bottle. (laughs) And... In her vanity, she had a really hard time hanging out with us and anybody uh-huh. with these Coke bottle glasses on. So, you know, we we make it through the rest of, of the day. Uh-huh. That day we get to the gallery. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of light bulb goes, goes off in my head thinking, wow, I haven't had a tetanus shot in a while. I call my mom. She's like, it's been 11 years or 12 years or something. Oh, no. So I end up going to this clinic. And, you know, back then you didn't have any way to figure out where anything was. So we had to ask a million people how to even get a tetanus shot. Um, You know, you didn't have a phone or it was 2001. We didn't have any of that stuff. Oh, God, yeah. We we were joking the other night. We had calling cards to call people. That's right. I forgot about Um, that. And so we get to this this clinic and they give me these papers to sign. I guess it was a waiver. and. I know enough Spanish and Italian to, to read the words mm-hmm. hemoglobin – uh-huh. And CIDA, SIDA, S-I-D-A, oh which God. means AIDS, right. you know. <laughs> no. And and so I look at this nurse who has a crack in her glasses. <laughs> and I'm like, she's not even going to know where to put this <laughs> he- hemoglobin SIDA tennis shot. And I'm just like, oh, uh, my God, I have to get out of here. So we get out of Florence. We yeah. end up going to Rome, found the Roman American Hospital. Thank God. Really hot doctor. Ends up giving me a tennis shot, sending me on my way. He spoke perfect English. It was lovely. Um, <laughs> we end up and everything's fine. She still has the Coke bottle glasses. I still have a huge bandage on my ass. Oh, my God. We end up doing okay. Yeah. We go to Capri. We saw the doctor from the hospital in Capri, oh, you really? know, and I was so embarrassed that, you know, I couldn't even bear to no, talk to him. No. <laughs> um, you know, not thinking back. I think I think differently now. I mean, back then I was like, well, that... That doctor, he saw my butt, but he sees everyone's butts, you right? Know? But but I was so embarrassed, I couldn't even talk to him. Um no, I, I couldn't understand. And that. <laughs> so so then you know we end up going, uh, we end up going swimming at the Blue Grotto, which is this cave that you can go in and you see light reflecting in. Ooh. And my friend loses her coke bottle glasses. Oh no! So now she's completely blind. <laughs> and all I could hear is her screaming. Is anyone an optometrist? And <laughs> uh, like a knight in shining armor, this man with a heavy Italian accent comes <laughs> whisking in and and says he is an optometrist and and just takes her and fits her for these gorgeous glasses. Oh my so, god. I don't know if there's really a moral to that story, but you know, if if you've gotta to go to Europe and get yourself some culture, make sure you have a couple pairs of contact with <laughs> And you know and find a hot doctor. Find a hot doctor, right. <laughs> I love it. Well that's a
0: great story. So as we round this up, I know you, you you dropped some sage words of advice as we were talking, but do you have any parting words for people who want to go to law school or
1: want to get into your area? So I think the, the best advice I can give somebody mm-hmm. is be humble and take advice. And if you walk around with a thick head and you don't think that anybody can help you, you're not going to succeed. Yeah. You know, you really have to make sure that you let people look out for you a little bit think that I've learned that I was I was way too pigheaded before I thought that I could get by on having fun and partying and just I would do great in school no matter what, because I was uh-huh. smart. Right. Um, and And that just isn't really the case. And time and time again, throughout my career, little by little, I have learned to let people help me. I've learned to ask questions. There is nothing more difficult, I think, than than starting a new job. And feeling alone, but you're never alone. No company will hire somebody and then, well, you know, you hope not. not. No company, no smart company will hire somebody and leave them alone. Um, And if that's the case, get out of there quick because that's not the way to succeed in business or in life you've got to be supported and let people help you, let people in because there's nothing more important than just letting people in and letting people help you in your career. And that's just the best way to go forward and help other people. You know, I I can't tell you how many people that I've helped get jobs and still call me and still ask me how I'm doing. And and it makes me feel good because it's kind of a pay it forward sort of thing. So
0: Absolutely. Totally a pay it forward. Yeah. And I think those are great words of advice, Sandra. And um You know, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's been great
1: being here. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew.
0: And that's a wrap. You can always check us out at enteringthebar.com. As a reminder, all opinions on this show are made in our personal capacity and don't reflect the views of our employers. Many thanks to those who've provided use of their work through the Creative Commons licenses. This episode has featured no peddler song Ruthenian Kolmaja from their album Corn Smugglers and sounds from freesound.org with thanks to users Escort Marius, BH Weber, and Leanders. And Tunis. You've been listening to Entering the Bar with Liz Lash.